We're brought here today by the love that Sarah and Davis have for each other. I can't believe I get to marry him. We're perfectly compatible in every way. Yeah, she just gets me, man. Someone to talk to all night long. Someone to talk to all night long. Early morning jogs. Sleeping in late. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll have one well-behaved daughter. We'll have four or five little dudes running around. He'll help me pay off my debt. I should probably tell her about all my debt. Is that important? We'll share a bank account. Obviously, we're gonna share a Facebook account. <laughs> do I need a friend? My in-laws. Someone to do my laundry. Someone to do my laundry. Double income. Stay-at-home dad. Meal planning, of course. Takeout. The city. The burbs. Mission trip. Ski trip. Blue. Red. Cat. Dog. Fry. Rings. Potato. Potato. Minivan. Motorcycle. Two words. Finished basement. Two words. Man cave. Oh, he's so smart. Do you think that birds wish that they had hands? We're going to be so happy. We'll be so happy. I'm gonna crush it at being a husband. Good stuff. <clears throat> Good morning. My name is Scott. I'm a lead pastor here at First Christian Church. We're super glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, wow, my wife's not even here to talk back. Somebody else is. Thank you, Kim Clark, for taking over that role for first service. Hey, if you need a Bible today um, or you need today's program with space for notes and today's questions, uh, just slip up your hands and some of our guest services folks uh, will hook you up real quickly there. Um, you're going to want to turn to three places today. Um, the program, the worship guide there has just one listed. We're going to look at three places, John 13, Romans 13, and Ephesians 5. So you'll want to have that handy. I'll tell you the verses here in just a second. <clears throat> John 13, Romans 13, and Ephesians 5. Uh, we're going to be in uh, those three places, John 13, 34 to 35. We're just going to look at those two verses. <clears throat> then we're also going to look at three verses in Romans 13, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10, and then Ephesians 5, just verse 2. Um, We'll end up there in Ephesians 5.2. Uh, that's kind of our series theme verse for the next four weeks. Today we begin a new series called uh, What Happy Couples Know. And uh, parenthetically, before I get into it too much, I've been sick for a couple weeks, so if I sound groggy or I just sort of like plop down in the middle of it, you'll just, you know, he's sick, just give me a second. I'll be fine. Um, want to uh, let you know that, speaking of marriage... Um, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be launching an entirely new marriage ministry. Um, we're going to be focusing on the marriage relationship uh, for the whole month of August, both in our sermon series and with this new marriage ministry. Um, makes you wonder if somebody is perhaps planning this whole thing. Um, this marriage ministry um, is under the guidance of Mark and Beth Ann Liebert. Um, Mark's one of our elders. Uh, they've been doing a really great job, doing a lot of preparation. This is a really great curriculum. Uh, it's a structure that's from the same church that developed uh, Regeneration Recovery. Uh, that is our 12-step discipleship training. Uh, and there are three parts to this marriage ministry. I want to mention them real quick just so you know. We'll mention this a couple times, but there are three parts to it. Uh, premarital, newly married, and not newly married. Um, 
the first is called Merge, and it's for pre-marrieds, uh, whether engaged, uh, considering it, seriously dating couples. Um, then there are foundation groups. Uh, those are small groups for newly married couples who are in the first three-ish years of marriage. And then finally, there's Re-Engage, uh, which is an 18-week marriage enrichment program. Uh, marriages in any condition uh, will benefit from re-engage. We've already had uh, 10 couples go through it. We've already received really great feedback uh, already. They've been planning all summer long. Uh, we've got a bunch of people prepared for these three aspects of this marriage ministry. And so we're ready to launch all three of these. Merge for pre-marrieds, foundation for up to three-ish years, and then re-engage. But I want to focus on re-engage for just a minute here. We're launching re-engage for the not newly marrieds uh, beginning Monday, August 20th. Uh, re-engage begins Monday, August 20th. Uh, so get signed up today because we only have room for 25 couples. It goes from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Monday nights. It's going to run for 18 weeks from August 20 through mid-December. Uh, child care is provided. Um, for those of you who are in Regen, on that Monday, August 20th, we're going to begin our evening meetings by uh, meeting together for worship up here, uh, not downstairs in the student center, and then we'll break off into the, the Regen and re-engage uh, groups. So them's the basics of the marriage ministry. If you have any questions, talk to Carl and Krista Del Sorbo uh, in the hub after the service. Um, yes, they're one of our happy couples. We suspect that apparently they know things happy couples know. And if not, we're going to tell them in the next four weeks. Uh, we've also got a video to show you about re-engage later on in the service, uh, so I'll be looking for that. Um, covering things quickly here because we've got a lot to get to. Um, three things to cover quickly before we talk a smidge uh, about multi-site. Real quick, I uh, just want to say a big thanks to everyone who was a part of our Family Circus celebration last week. Immediately following the second service, we had this huge <laughs> circus. Um, outside. Uh, it was a great success. There are a few key leaders behind the scenes who made that happen. You know who you are. So thanks for being instrumental in pulling off that huge event. Uh, special thanks to you. Second thing, at the beginning of every school year and calendar year, we take a month starting here in August to focus on connecting you in a small group. So I just want to mention real briefly, there are new life groups forming uh, right now. Um, and if you're not yet in a life group, we'd like to encourage you to do that. We've become um, a large enough, if you want to stick around to see how large, be here second service. Uh, we've become a large enough church that if you're going to connect with people meaningfully, it has to be beyond this time on Sunday mornings. Uh, so if you'd like to know more, go to fccgreenville.info, stop by the hub later, uh, see Chris Oaks, our director of life groups. All right, last thing to cover, and I'll try to do this quickly. Uh, speaking of becoming a larger church, where um, if you're going to connect meaningfully, it has to be beyond, be beyond this Sunday morning thing. Um, this past week, we had uh, a consultant with us from a place called Portable Church Industries. Uh, you can look it up online, portablechurch.com. Got a lot of cool stuff to show you kind of what we're doing with this new campus. Um, Portable Church. Hey, look at that. Good job, guys. Uh, portablechurch.com will help you understand what this guy has come to do. He helps put some feet on our vision, um, and without divulging too much too early, um, we got a lot to tell you about in the coming months before February 2019, but two words for you, buckle up. <laughs> um, we'll tell you more about this whole multi-site thing and how that works over the coming months, uh, a little bit at a time, so you're not too overwhelmed too early on. Um, 
but we're working toward a February 2019 campus launch. In the meantime, we want to ask you to help us deal with some space problems that we've been having during second service um, and to help us also create more space problems. Uh, so there are four ways you can help alleviate some of these space problems. And I'll tell you about the way we want you to help create more problems. Four ways are this. Uh, number one, uh, be nice to ushers. <laughs> uh, second service, one change you'll notice is that we're having people, aggressively is not quite the right word, but we're having people um, pretty pointedly look for open spaces uh, and, and ask people to scooch to the center. Uh, so don't be surprised if you're coming second service if an usher says, hey, you, bump over a couple. Um, we want our ushers to actually um, help people get to seats by taking away the pressure of guests having to ask people to move. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is to arrive early front and center. Um, if you're a 1045 regular, which... Many of you aren't, but um, if you are, the most helpful thing you can do is to move to this service to worship at 9 a.m. Uh, and then to begin to serve at 10.45 a.m. So come, grab a seat early, sit up toward the front, sit toward the center of each row. That applies to both services. Uh, the third thing is to move to the 9 a.m. service. I sort of mixed number two and three there, didn't I? Fix that second service. Y'all get the mess-ups. Um, what would be most helpful is to be here in this worship service and serve second service. And part of why that's helpful is a couple of things. We'd like to talk about worship and serve. It's the first two of our seven habits. And when you serve second service, it helps create a warm, engaging, inviting environment for those who are coming to visit. Um, our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. So worship and serve is a part of how you can participate uh, in that. Um, some of me, some of y'all may not believe this number, but we have over 700 people year to date who have visited first time at First Christian Church. That's overwhelming. And, and we, need, we need help welcoming those people and making space for them. Um, so you may think, it's crazy to go to two campuses. No, it's not. Okay. Fourth thing, um, and this is something that we're debuting today during second service. We would like for some people to go downstairs, if you're a second service regular, to an overflow space in the student center. Um, there will be a screen in the middle where you can follow the music, hear the message, see everything that's going on up here. It's just a temporary thing to help provide some capacity second service. So helps alleviate some things. So this is the four ways you can help to uh, alleviate space problems. The one thing I want you to do, um, if you haven't yet done this, is to help us create more space problems. Um, <laughs> and I know this may seem silly to some of you, but it's an easy way to help get the word out there uh, that First Christian is a place that's all about helping people find and follow Jesus. Um, I, I could tell you a number of stories of conversations that were begun merely because of stickers on the back of somebody's car. We want you to take one or two or 27 of these uh, with you on the way out uh, to find a place on your back car window or your bumper, your laptop, your, your smartphone, uh, to help us increase this logo's visibility. Uh, this is the beginning of many months <laughs> of Olive Green County being aware of this whole multi-site thing. We want to put some real um, legs to our efforts to get the word out um, that God is moving in people's lives here. So, so that you go to Walmart, you go to Food City, wherever you go in Green County, people see them everywhere and they wonder, what on earth is this FCC thing? Boom, conversation started. So grab a few of those on the way out. All right, lots to cover. Let's read our three passages and then I'll stop talking so fast. And we'll pray and get our hearts and heads in the game to hear from God today. Let's read together from those three passages. John 13 
34 to 35, Romans 13, 8 through 10, and then Ephesians 5, 2. They say this, John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Romans 13, starting at verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And then finally, Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Lord God, we submit ourselves. We come under your mission today. Asking that you would recenter our hearts and minds around the truth that you alone are God, that you are creator of all that is, that all glory is due to you, that all fame belongs to your name because you alone are perfect and holy and altogether good. So Father, we, we put ourselves under the truth. that you are the God of all creation and that you have extended yourself to us in tangible ways in the person of Jesus who lived a life for us that we couldn't and then sacrificed so that you would accept his perfect life. Lord, make our love for one another something that looks like your love for us so that all would know that we are your disciples and so the marriages would be restored so that families would be unified around your purposes and we would leave this place today changed. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to start with a little bit of a stereotype. (laughs) It's always a good way to start a sermon, right? I'm going to start by stereotyping a little uh, about both men and women, um, just to make sure we're all on the same page. So ladies, you need to know that most men think about relationships the same way that most of you think about a car. Most men think about relationships the same way most women think about a car. We don't really want to have to work on it. We just want it to work. Don't bother me with all the inner workings and how this fits with that and how it's all integrated. And and, and if it's not broken down on the side of the road, everything's fine. Don't try to fix it. And there's a moment that when, when a woman says, you know, honey, I think we need to talk about a relationship. Let me tell you how that translates to a guy. There is something wrong with you and I know how to fix it. Most of the guys are like on the inside going, that's right, amen, preacher. <laughs> on the outside, they're sitting there going, I don't know, I don't know, Scott. 
So when we talk about a relationship series like marriage, and the ladies here that we're going to do a relationship series about marriage, they think, yes, finally, a chance to work on our marriage and our relationship together. And the guys on the whole kind of think, I don't even have a football game after this to look forward to yet. Like, do we have to talk about this? Well, yes, we do. And we're going to for four weeks. We're going to talk about marriage. And, and don't worry, uh, those of you who are single, dating, engaged, uh, male, um, the way we're going to talk about, the way we're going to talk about this is going to apply to all of us. This will apply to uh, everyone in every relationship. It's going to apply to everyone in every relationship for all four weeks in principle form because everyone has hopes, dreams, and desires. You see, in every relationship, but especially in marriage, we all have an invisible box of hopes, dreams, and desires that we bring to that relationship. In fact, some of you don't even know you have this box. So in this series, we want to make this invisible box very visible and and clear because it's helpful to name, to say out loud, and to understand what we bring to our relationships and how our hopes, dreams, and desires affect our approach to those relationships. You see, the closer the relationship, the more intimate a relationship gets, the more well-defined and the more important the stuff in this box becomes. The more important it is for you to know what's in your box of hopes, dreams, and desires. If you're young and single, you may not even know you have a box. (laughs) We're here to tell you you do, um, and we want to encourage you to look inside your box now um, before, you, you, before you realize that what you don't know can hurt you and your someone significant and your kids, and then someday down the road you wish you had known what's in this box. You're welcome. If you're engaged, maybe you're newly married, uh, hopefully you're at least aware at some level um, of, of what's in your hopes, dreams, and desires box. Um, if you've been married for a good while, um, if marriage is not new for you, <laughs> you know full well you've got stuff in your box. Uh, you may be, in fact, sitting there going, yeah, I've got a couple things in here, uh, but my spouse, you should see that box. Uh, it's like one of those big freight train containers that goes on barges and trains. You see, the closer and more intimate a relationship gets, the more well-defined and the more weighty the stuff in this box becomes, the more important it is for you to know what's in your box and your significant other's box. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Many people, many people have no earthly idea what's in their box. Even married couples often do not. So in this series, we're going to take a good hard look at what's inside our boxes, what's inside our boxes, and consider how that affects our marriage relationships. You see, we all have hopes and dreams and desires as it relates to our marriage and our future when it comes to a whole host of things that we bring to the relationship. Like, let's just start here. This is an easy one to start with. Money. It's easy to understand that we all have hopes, dreams, and desires when it comes to money. We're going to have a lot of money. I need money. Lots and lots of money. I want the pie in the sky. Hashtag 80s. Or maybe we don't need a lot of money, right? Like maybe uh, we don't need a whole lot of money and uh, we're going to live on nothing. um, And even though we ain't got money, I'm so in love with you. Thank you. 
uh, early on in any close relationship, but especially in marriage, our hopes and dreams and desires about money play an important role because you learn quickly that despite what the eagles say, love will not keep you alive. It actually requires some money. <laughs> Second service is going to laugh, I promise. <laughs> Listen, y'all. So we all have hopes and dreams about money, all right? My parents had a lot of it. They drove brand new cars. We went on four vacations overseas every year, and they paid for all my college. My parents had very little money. We ate ramen noodles. They drove an old junker into which my dad was always, you know, pouring oil and coolant and money. We never took vacations except for one weekend in Gatlinburg every couple years, and I'm still paying off college in my mid-40s. We've all got hopes, dreams, and desires when it comes to money. How about this one? How about the chores? Maybe you had this idea that you just fall in love and get married and somehow all those household chores would just sort of automatically get done like a Disney movie where all those inanimate objects come to life and boom, it's clean. Yeah, that's a hope, dream, and desire, obviously. (laughs) How about housing? You got to live somewhere, right? Everybody's got hopes and dreams and desires about where they're going to live. Maybe you dream of a tiny home, 750 square feet, solar panels provide all the energy uh, you cook on a Bunsen burner. Maybe, maybe you can't be happy with anything less than 6,000 square feet with a live-in chef and uh, and those showers that hit you from, you know, 10 directions. Uh, We all have thoughts and dreams and desires when it comes to where we live. Or maybe you're just like most guys and you're just happy that you're finally having a lot of sex and you don't even have to live indoors. Let's live in a sleeping bag. doesn't matter. You laugh because you know it's true. How about cars? Maybe you think you're going to drive your fancy sports car forever. Uh, Maybe you dream of a minivan uh, filled with with lots of little very obedient minions in the back seat. Uh, Maybe you're like half of you all and you have 27 kids and you homeschool and you, you need a Greyhound bus that goes to about there. Everybody's got dreams about even things like cars. Speaking of kids... Um, how many exactly are you going to have? <laughs> I want one. I want six. You've got to figure that out. We all have hopes, dreams, and desires when it comes to kids. Maybe if you're an only child, you might be thinking we are definitely going to have at least two. And, and if we have uh, two boys, I started the wrong one there. Let's, two boys, um, then we're definitely going to have to go until we get um, a girl and uh, While we're at it, let's just go ahead and have a basketball team. Uh, Some of you could field an entire football team. (laughs) This box isn't big enough for your bus load, by the way. Um, How about free time, use of time? We all have hopes, dreams, and desires about that that we bring to our relationships. Uh, I'll spend all my time with my friends. You spend all your time with your friends. We'll spend all of our time together. You will have no other friends. Um, I want to make sure you never meet my friends because uh, they're all crazy. We all have hopes, dreams, and desires based on those kinds of experiences in our life. How about the family calendar? This is a little different than use of time. We all have hopes and dreams and desires as it relates to uh, how our family spends time with the other family, how we spend holidays. This is always an interesting point of tension for many. 
We're going to spend no holidays with any family other than our own and our immediate family because we want to start our own traditions, which sounds good, but it usually doesn't actually work that way. Uh, We're going to spend all the holidays with my family because yours is crazy. Uh, Again, that sounds good, but it doesn't really work that way. Um, I heard a story about how one family uh, dealt with this issue. The husband said the wife was really great about it, was really fair about dealing with this, because the, the, the wife said, listen, I only want three holidays, and uh, your family can have all the rest. Um, we'll just spend Easter and Christmas and Thanksgiving with my family, <laughs> and your family gets all the rest. <laughs> Columbus Day and Groundhog Day. Uh, how about... How about travel? How are you going to travel? We'll travel a lot. We'll travel a little. We'll travel all over the world. We'll go on cruises. No, we'll go to Europe. Uh, We'll stay here in Tennessee. Uh, We'll never leave Greene County. Uh, You know, you're going to have to figure all that out. And we all come to a relationship like marriage with hopes and dreams and desires about even things like that. Right? Like maybe vacation for you is going to end up being Walmart on a Friday night to buy groceries. The rest of the Greene County wildlife. How about the bedroom? We all have hopes and dreams and desires. Every guy especially has hopes and dreams about uh, what happens in the bedroom and and what his wife is going to to wear to bed. And he's thinking it's just going to be something spicy every night. And uh, and oftentimes she's thinking uh, he'll accept me as I am just as long as I'm comfortable. That's all he wants. So um, there are hopes, dreams, and desires based on that. What about conflict resolution? There's, of course, how we deal with conflict. Because any real relationship of any significance will involve conflict. It's just whether you actually deal with it well or you don't. Uh, One person says, we're going to talk openly. We're going to talk honestly. There will never be any secrets. Everything is going to be talked out. It's going to be on the table all the time. And the other person says, that is not how you operate. That's how you hurt someone's feelings. You can't possibly say everything that's true. Uh, you just got to make sure that everything you say is true. One person's like, you raise your voice, you fight it out. Another is like, no, we never, ever raise our voices. We pretend there is no conflict. And then there's most guys who just think conflict resolution. I thought that's what sex was for. <laughs> now, there are many factors There are many factors that go into our box of hopes and dreams and desires that go into how we decide those things, what we've seen and heard in other relationships, what's been modeled for us by other couples, maybe what you've seen in culture, maybe what you've read, maybe what you've watched on TV or seen in movies. Maybe for you it's Lucy and Ricky. Maybe it's Ross and Rachel. Zach and Kelly, you're a little messed up if you... Understand that one, Saved by the Bell. Uh, and you're really messed up if Homer and Marge is your, um, is your model. Whatever the case, there are several factors for us, often unnamed, often unrealized, often not understood, that go into what we put into our hopes, dreams, and desires box. But by far the number one factor is what we have experienced in our own home, our family of origin, watching our parents, seeing how their marriage 
function. And when you begin to understand how much of this is tied into your own experience, you begin to realize how seriously we take these hopes and dreams and desires. When it comes to our hopes, dreams, and desires, we are either avoiding something or recreating something. There's very little in between. We are either avoiding something or recreating something. I'm never going to be like my dad. It's over my dead body that I parent like my mom. If I don't have as much money as my parents, I will be devastated. If, if he doesn't stay home like my dad did, I'm out of here. If he says one cross word to me ever, I'm going straight to Facebook. If she doesn't cook like my mom, I'm going to be disappointed. It may sound a little simplistic, <laughs> but... Our hopes, dreams, and desires are real. This isn't pretend stuff on TV. And so what happens is that at some point in your relationship, it can be before you're married, it can be after you're married. Many of us may not even realize we've already yet done this. But at some point along the way, here's what we do. We basically pick up our entire box of hopes and dreams and desires and we hand it to somebody else and we say, here, make them come true. Make my dreams come true. This is what I always dreamed it would be like. The reason I went after you, the reason I asked you out, the reason I asked you to marry me, the reason I like you is because I dreamed, I had a conception of what my future would look like. And I need you to come through for me. Which puts an untenable strain on a relationship. The problem with this is that when we do that, when we hand somebody else our box of hopes and dreams and desires, it doesn't just feel to them like we feel about them. These are my innocent hopes and dreams and desires. These are my prayers for my life. This is the vision I've conceived of all along. This is my innocent motivation for good things. It doesn't feel like that to them. It feels like expectations. To the other person, it feels like a burden they can't possibly carry. <laughs> like a weight of, of expectation and responsibility that is beyond what I can bear. And the problem with most marriage relationships is that they become merely an exchange of boxes. Most marriage relationships struggle because they are often primarily marked as an exchange of boxes. <laughs> And when that happens in a marriage, when the reality of dreams turned expectations begins to set in, we, we start fighting tooth and nail for our hopes and dreams. And the marriage turns over time into me and not we. I buckle down for what I want and that strangles out we. And when a marriage becomes about me more than we, the marriage has begun to lose its ultimate godly Christ-centered purpose that actually brings satisfaction. And it has gone from a relationship that satisfies us by being a picture of God's love into a self-centered project that perverts the other person into a functional Messiah they were never intended to be. When this happens in a marriage, it reduces that marriage down from a covenant that has a higher calling about the glory of God 
and your satisfaction in achieving that. It reduces it down from that kind of a covenant that is beyond circumstances into, into a, an earthly this-way contract that is primarily about you meeting my expectations and me meeting your expectations. And if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, and if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, then we live with this constant disappointment because our dreams turned expectations will never be met. The problem with hopes and dreams turned into expectations is it creates a debt-debtor relationship. Meaning, meaning that as soon as anyone puts all their hopes and dreams and desires on someone else, they've begun to live and behave under the assumption that that someone else now owes them. That other person is now in debt to me and owes me my hopes and dreams and desires turned into expectations. You owe me what I expect. You owe me your time and attention. You owe me to resolve or maybe avoid conflict. You owe it to me to use your resources, the money we have, the travel and the time to make me happy, to keep the house clean, to put the food on the table, to educate the kids, and, and so on and so on and so on. You owe me and I owe you. And, and, and when that happens... We become committed more to marriage as an idea that supports my vision for me more than a commitment to a person that's based on trust. You see, you don't marry a marriage. (laughs) You don't commit yourself to a marriage. You commit yourself to a person. When a debt-debtor relationship happens in marriage, we become committed more to an idea that fulfills our dreams turned to expectations than a commitment to a person. There's a relationship based on trust. It becomes a relationship where we are owed something. And that's a weight no one could ever carry. You see, marriage isn't about, it's not about meeting expectations for one another. It's about modeling Jesus to one another. It's not about meeting expectations. It's about modeling Jesus. This is what happy couples know. (laughs) They know that mutual sacrifice is the key to any happy relationship. Mutual sacrifice, I'm going to put this on screen. It's cheesy because it rhymes. But you can remember it. Mutual sacrifice is what happy couples know is the main thing that makes relationships go. Mutual sacrifice is what happy couples know is the main thing that makes relationships go. This comes straight from a few places in Scripture. Uh, We're going to focus in this series on how uh, Paul develops this thought, especially in Ephesians 5. Um, That's our theme passage for the whole series. But I want you to start with me today in John 13, because I want to show you where Paul gets this idea of mutual sacrifice in relationships. A mutual sacrifice that looks like the love of Jesus in relationships. We're going to develop this mutual sacrifice theme um, here, beginning with John 13, 34 to 35. Turn there if you don't have it yet, um, just to set the scene a little bit before we get to the text. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, his first followers, before, soon before he goes to the cross. It's right before he goes to the cross, and he's trying to make sure that they understand not so much how much, He loves them, but he's trying to make sure they understand how he loves them. 
He wants them to understand something in particular about the character of his love for them. And so he says this. Look at John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, speaking to the disciples, that you love one another. Now, what wasn't new here was the love one another part. Love was already a piece of uh, the fundamental uh, principle in the Old Testament. Um, He wants them to understand something important about the character of the love. And so it says, this is the new part. Keep reading 34. Just as I have loved you in the same manner as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. What was new was the kind of love that sacrificed for the sake of the good of the other. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by loving like Jesus in a sacrificial kind of way, mutually beneficial for that other person and for you, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What was new was that this sacrificial love that showed others, it demonstrated that Christ-likeness was the center of that love. As I've loved you, just as I loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, when the disciples first heard Jesus say this at the time, the disciples were like, okay, sounds good, no big deal. Keep in mind, this was happening before the cross. At the beginning of John 13, John reports that this is where Jesus began to show them the full extent of his love, 13.1. They couldn't have imagined how much and how he was going to love them at the time when he said this the first time. So they might be thinking, uh, okay, no big deal. They didn't have any idea at the time how fully Jesus' love would eventually extend. Which, think about it, it's kind of a lot like marriage, isn't it? <laughs> you can't know the full extent of love until you've had to come to terms with mutual sacrifice at the Christ-like center that defines love. Let me say that again because it's important. We all think we know what love means. Everybody throws around love like it's something everybody understands. But you cannot know the full extent and the character of Christ-like love until you've had to come to terms with mutual sacrifice as the Christ-like center that defines what love is. Until you have to begin dying to self in order to serve someone else, you can't know. And guess where that kind of mutual sacrifice (laughs) happens most? Marriage. Which brings us back to this debt-debtor relationship. If if your relationship, if your marriage is predicated on meeting expectations in a debt-debtor kind of way, it's going to always fail. It will always fail. That other person will always fail to come through in the ways expected, hoped, dreamed. But if your relationship, if your marriage is built on a foundation of mutual sacrifice, then it can work. Let me show you what I mean from Romans 13. Look there with me at Romans 13, 8 through 10. This is where Paul takes this new command to love like Jesus and begins to apply it in all sorts of situations. Uh, We'll Extend that further in Ephesians 5. And he's trying to show us here that a debt-debtor relationship is a works-based relationship that does not reflect how God has treated us, right? 
a works-based expectation contract as opposed to a covenant that is not based on circumstances. A works-based, this kind of direction contract does not reflect the grace of how God treated us. And our relationships are supposed to be marked by that grace. And he begins to extend that here in Romans 13. So look there. He says this, verse 8. Owe no one anything. Owe nothing to anybody. (laughs) Owe nothing to anybody except to love each other. He's assuming this phrase, love each other, here, uh, carries the implication we talked about earlier of this new command that is as Christ has loved. Uh, Paul does this a lot throughout his writings. He'll take something that Jesus says and he'll begin to encapsulate it with smaller language. So when he says here, except to love one another, he's assuming that a shorthand for love like Christ in John 13. So owe nothing except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now this is a little complicated. Let me say it twice. It's really cool stuff though. If Christ lived a perfect and sinless life for you, in terms of the Old Testament law, then the only debt you owe to anyone else is the debt you owe to God he paid for you, which is to love like Christ. Let me say that again because it's a critical turn in Paul's argument here. If Christ lived a perfect and a sinless life for you, in terms of the Old Testament law that Paul's comparing it to here, then the only debt you owe to anyone else is the debt that you actually owe to God that he paid for you, which is to love like Christ loved you. He says this, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not come any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's another version of love one another and love like Christ. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. In other words, real Christ-like love seeks the good of the other person. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When your love love seeks the good of the other person, then your love shows that you understand that Christ has been perfect where you are not. When your love seeks the good of the other person, it shows that you understand that Christ has been perfect perfect and adequate when you are not. You see, you have to understand that you are a sinner in need need of Jesus in order to love like Jesus. You can't can't love anybody out of your self-based righteousness. (laughs) This is radical stuff because it's the opposite of a debt-debtor relationship that we were all trained in, in earthly terms, right? Right? Like this is just some big social reciprocation project that helps this. Debt-debtor relationship just perverts other people into my own mission of earthly happiness, twisting them into functional messiahs they could never be. But mutually sacrificial Christ-like love that looks like Jesus' love for us does something radical because it shepherds others into an understanding of the love of Jesus. Did you know that you, you can actually love people in a way that, that shepherds them into understanding how much God loves them? That's radical. And that's the center of a good relationship, especially marriage. That's what marriage is meant to do. It's meant, it's meant to create a culture 
around someone else from your love for them, your, your sacrificial love for them, that shepherds them into a deep and a personal and an intimate understanding of the love of Jesus for them. <laughs> it was never about this in the first place. All relationships, but especially marriage, all relationships are opportunities to shepherd another person into a deep and a personal and an intimate knowledge and experience of the love of God for them. When we love others as Christ loved us, others learn to love Jesus. And they learn the love of Jesus. That's what Paul's calling us to here in Ephesians 5, 2. And we'll extend this metaphor throughout next week, beginning in verse 21. But I just wanted to look at uh, verse 2 in Ephesians 5 here. It says this in Ephesians 5, verse 2. It says, walk in love. In other words, live in it, behave, talk, act lovingly as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Love sacrificially like Jesus, who was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If Jesus can offer himself for you when you were in rebellion against the Father, you can offer yourself for someone else when they don't deserve it, which is every time you're in relationship with anyone ever. This is, this is the radical thing that Christ-like love can do. Mutually sacrificial love can shepherd <laughs> your spouse, into a deep experience of the love of Jesus. What happy couples know is that mutual sacrifice creates an intimacy of relationship that models the love of Jesus to one another. So what do I do with all this? (laughs) Are these hopes and dreams turned expectations, bad, wrong, should I not have them? I have a vision for my life that I believe God's given me for my happiness and my good and my satisfaction and my contentment and joy and peace. I think, I think we take them out of the expectations box and we can put them back into hopes and dreams that has a vision for these hopes and dreams that looks like Christ's sacrificial love for us and redefines hopes and dreams and desires to be about shepherding another into an experience of the love of Jesus for them. Is that that your hope and your dream and your desire? Because, Because that will bring a satisfaction and peace and contentment and joy not one of these items could ever bring. Participating in the love of God for others. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for taking the resources you've given us and uh, finding a vision for them that has us at the heart. Because when we do that, Lord, we miss your best for us. We missed how you've designed us to have lasting forever relationship with you. We pervert the resources of our lives in ways that mean that instead of shepherding someone else into an experience of your love that brings us joy, 
we twist relationships into opportunities for self in ways that don't satisfy. So, Father, forgive us and teach us and show us how you know for us better than we know for us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.